today I'm going to be talking about how to use the passion for God. I've talked about these Young Life guys that, that are in college where a lot of people are out partying and stuff. They're spending some of their nights over here with these young people uh, spreading the gospel and befriending kids and helping them. It takes a passion to do that. It really does. It takes a zeal for God to see a need greater than self and then take action on it. This is what passion does. Passion drives us to do good things. Passion drives us to do the right things. Well, some people, when their passions are not right, their passion leads them places that they really shouldn't go. Their passion can get them in trouble. That's why the enemy wants to take what was meant to be offered to God and offer it to himself and cause what God has placed in you, which is a right emotion, passion, to get you in trouble. So we don't want the perverted side of passion. We want the right side of passion. And that is to go after God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And when you do that, you begin to fulfill the reason you were born. Christianity isn't a life choice. It's not a path that you follow and choose. God chose you. And when you begin to do the things that you should be doing for God, all you're doing is you're beginning to fulfill. You're seeing the tip of the iceberg of what you were born to do. And it's what you're best at, is doing things for God. So I wanted to share with you a story that is very, very close to my heart. But before I do that, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. And this scripture right here is what really birthed this uh, sermon series. When I, when I was reading in, in the Bible, I got into Isaiah. And I began to think about I, what Isaiah said about Jesus and how this plan of salvation was going to take place. He said, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us, all these things rise up against a God that's going to be passed away because unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, speaking of Jesus. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Have you ever prayed like that? And you say, well, I pray in Jesus' name. Well, his name is also Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. I've, heard, I've, I've also heard Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. How is this going to take place? The passion of the Lord Almighty, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Or as King James says, will perform this. There is a um, story I'd like to tell you, something we learned, I think it was uh, the boys' first district championship when uh, Seth and Jesse were on the golf team at Caldwell. We were at a, a golf course in Austin, and they were preparing for their round to play uh, for the for the championship, and while they were preparing, there all the guys are hitting on the on the uh, range and they're putting on the putting green. And there's this one guy out there amongst all these kids putting and hitting range balls and stuff. And and somebody walked up and they offered this information. They said, "You heard about that guy?" I said, "No. What, what's the deal?" I said, "He has been practicing for about 14 years." I said, "Wow, that's admirable." I said, "What does he shoot?" They said, "That's it. He's never played around before." Seth, you remember that guy? 
He said, they said, he's never played one round of golf. I said, well, let me get this right. This guy's been practicing for over 14 years, and he's never teed it up. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, what's his deal? They said, well, he wants to be the best he can be before he ever plays a round. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like to me someone that's attended church all their life, okay, but they're afraid to pray in public, okay? Tell me, amens or omis out there? Think about that. Why in the world are you going to practice all your life, but you'll never tee it up? You're afraid of failing? You're afraid? But come on. There comes a time where you've you got to cast a shadow, friend, and it takes passion to do that. Who's afraid of failure? Well, have I ever failed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I fail a whole lot. But the only people that are failing are the ones out there getting in the game, taking, taking a step on the field. That is what that's about. Now, there's one guy I want to talk. Here's my favorite story who had zeal for God, who had passion for God. And it begins in 1 Samuel chapter 17, reading verse 11. Read a lot of scripture today, okay? So follow with me as I read. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites on another, okay? With a valley between them, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, this guy's a little over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, were, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. The head of that spear was like a weaver's rod. I'm sorry, the, the spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels or nine pounds. Now wrap your mind around that. Nine pounds. That's a heavy point. You can imagine how long and how heavy the, the shaft was. This wasn't some, some basketball freak that was real skinny and happened to be nine foot tall. This was a full-grown, thick man that was formidable, formidable in his appearance, and he was a champion. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day, boy, this is where he messed up. <laughs> you know, there's, there's trash talking and then there's stupid trash talking. Okay, here's where he gets a case of stupid. He says, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Wow. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. To this very day, the enemies of God still challenge us on the battlefields. They still call us out. They still talk trash to us. And they dare us to take a stand for God. And there's a lot of people that when we're dared, we get afraid you know, about a lot of things. One of the areas that the enemy will taunt and intimidate you is the area of sickness. That's one battlefield. Oh, what about that doctor's test? And we are, we are concerned and we're terrified. It's just Goliath out there talking trash, guys. That's all that's happening there. You need to realize what that sickness is defying. That sickness is calling out the armies of Israel. 
and you need to stand for it, stand for the armies of Israel. Finances is another battlefield that, that Goliath calls us out on. He challenges us on the battlefield of finances. Family trouble. He calls us, yeah, you think you're your godly mom and dad? Well, look at your family. It's a mess. That's just intimidation. Then he says, depression. You know, you, you can talk about the joy of the Lord all you want, but I'm going to tell you what the reality is. And here's the reality. Boom, bang, boom, bang. Clatter, clatter. Shaking the spear and, and rattling the, the sabers. And there's another area. Politics. He challenges us on politics. And when we get involved in politics, that's when Goliath says, hey, preacher, preach from the pulpit. Why don't you just stay inside that building? I've been hearing preachers and ministries for years say we need to get it outside the four walls. And there's times when you've got to take a stand for what is right, even when it's unpopular or even when it's nerve-wracking. Then culture. The giant of culture will challenge you. The boys used to tell me when they were in high school, they said, well, Matthew still is, and this is still true. He said, Dad, the way you've raised us, we're an anomaly. We are, we are odd because we don't do the things that you and Mama taught us not to do, and everybody else does. We don't say the things that other kids say, they're the, the bad language, but everybody else does. Dad, teachers say those words. And our culture challenges your values. The culture challenges your commitment to remain clean before God. It's just Goliath up there talking trash. That's all it is, my friend. We see the size of the giant, and we become paralyzed with fear. This is what happened to the armies of Israel. But David, David has an edge here. Something happens in David. And you're, I'm going to read this in just a minute, but before I get there, I'm going to tell you what David's advantage was. It's called Performance Enhancing Doctrine. Okay? Some of you already got that. PEDs. David was, was stoked on PEDs. He knew God's word. He trusted God's word. He had been demonstrating God's word already. And he was ready to go. All David needed was a challenge. Instead of running and hiding from a challenge, David said, what? I'm sorry, what did he say? You're defying who? Psalms 119, 139. This is some of David's doctrine. My zeal wears me out. We used this early in this sermon series. For my enemies ignore your words. David is appalled. How dare your enemies ignore what you're saying? God, my zeal, my passion for you wears me out. Psalms 118 and verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my defense and has become my salvation. See, David had already been concentrating on these things over and over and over again. Psalms 20 and verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't even need a weapon, my friend. All we need is the name of God to stand on. So David... He's stoked with PEDs. He's shaken in his boots. You see, zeal for God brings performance. If you have a passion for God, if you're aware of God's word and what he's already said, then you're allowed to use it in your lives. This is why it is so important, guys. Young people, you too, that we read this book. Because if you don't know what's in here, you don't have any PEDs. There's nothing there. 
You got, you know, you're just walking around on, on whatever's out there, but you're not stoking yourself up. You're not, you're not powering up on God's doctrine. This is what drove David to the battlefield. 1 Samuel 17, verses 20 through 29. Early in the morning, David leaves the flock in the care of the shepherd. Jesse, his dad, had said, David, I want you to go and bring some, some uh, provisions for the guys. They're out there on the battlefield. And, uh, you know, they're out there whipping up the Philistines. And I just want you to bring them some, some treats from home, care package. David loads up and sets out, as Jesse directed, and he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers, Hey, guys, how's it going? As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, again, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. (laughs) David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him with great fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter and marriage and everything that comes with that. It will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Boy, there's another sermon. David served a living God, not history, not tradition. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for him that kills him, the man that kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. That's a different kind of passion. And said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? There's a kick in the side, isn't it? A little touch of sarcasm. Hey, you little punk. Who are the sheep? Who'd you leave the sheep with? Get out of here. This is man's business. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch. You're rubbernecking. You just came to, to see some blood, you know. Now, what have I done, David said. Can I even speak? When you take a stand for God, I want you to understand there's going to be people that you thought were on your side that are going to say, eh, I don't know about that. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I, I'm not there. I'm not there. And you're going to eventually feel like you're all alone as David's own family is telling him, hey, hush up. David saw a need greater than himself and was ready for action. David is driven by his passion. You know that's the definition of a hero. You guys ought to know that by now. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 through 37. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replies, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. Okay, You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Okay, if you, need, if you need some provenance here, if you need a resume, here it is. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, as it absolutely would, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And here comes some other trash talk. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now think of what Saul is risking. Saul was so convinced he bought David's cell. He did. I mean, I don't know if I'd have sent David out there. Hey, man, I appreciate, I appreciate you. I would have. I said, man, you got some spunk. All right. But um, going back, Dave, what is Saul risking? Slavery. He's risking it all. So Saul is convinced with David's passion. Passion is not only in you, but it is contagious. When you dare to lead, people will be admiring you. People will follow you. All the things that you want to please other people and stuff, when you walk with passion and Christian leadership, you're going to have people behind you. You may not see them for a little bit, but they're there, believe me. I trust, trust me, they're there. Saul is risking Israel's slavery on David's confidence. And how did David have such confidence? He described it. And we talked about this last week. Practice, practice, practice. Trey, that wasn't your first rodeo a couple of weeks ago when you went up and you spoke before that school board. It wasn't the first time. You, you spoke in this pulpit. You've done things here. You, you've traveled across the state ministering, right? You've been in front of crowds before. You've been up in front of the entire student body with, with, uh, with, the, with the boys in the youth group, haven't you? So when you stood before them, it had been practice. Matthew, I don't need to go there, buddy. You know what I'm talking about. Practice, practice, practice. You don't just show up for the first time. You show up after, after you've been reading, after you've been believing, and after you've tried God's word. David was no amateur. David was no novice. David was the man. And that day, he was not only the man of Israel, he was going to be the man of the Philistine army. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40 through 51. How many of you feel some passion sort of boiling in your blood right now? Tell you, if Goliath was out there, he'd be in major trouble. Amen? Amen. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. I've skipped past some of the story. He put them in a pouch in his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Who? Somebody's moving. Somebody's coming out. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come out at me with sticks? This is an insult. And the Philistine cursed David by his own gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. This was not a veiled threat. Goliath was used to delivering on that promise. He was a champion for a reason. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and a javelin. Impressive. But I come against you. You're in trouble, buddy. (laughs) I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. You don't know who you're messing with. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if finger pointing was in fashion yet. But I really wonder if David didn't get, up, get himself whom you have defied. And I think when he saw the tip of David's finger, if he did indeed point, I'm just guessing here. There's a little shiver of, of uncertainty, a little bit of nervousness that went through Goliath's bones at that moment. 
Because he realized, even though this looked like a little punk, a little kid, he realized he was messing with a warrior at heart. And Goliath knew a warrior when he saw one. He'd faced many of them. This day, David goes on. The Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Now, let me remind you. I just read of David's armament, a staff and a sling. There's no better trash talk than things you don't say that are obvious. David didn't have a sword, so how is he going to cut Goliath's head off? You think Goliath got the message? He's intent on cutting my head off with my own sword? (laughs) I love it. That's good. David takes Goliath to school and trash talk here. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know. Are we still talking about it today? Is this not one of the most read and most familiar Bible stories in God's word? The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Isn't that part of David's PEDs? Isn't that some of his doctrine coming out right there? It's not by horse or chariot. You know, remember this? For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David didn't go, ooh. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I believe that that next series in the Bible thing is coming. I hope they get this part right. Because a lot of places you see David stumbling around looking for rocks. And (laughs) the Bible says that David ran toward Goliath. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. We're not done. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Like a boy. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He wasn't done. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And my friend, if you'll keep reading there, you'll find out that that head didn't stay on the battlefield. That head went with David's armies back to Jerusalem. What a story. Overwhelming odds David is faced with. What's he got? He's got zeal for God. He's got passion for God. That's what he comes equipped to the battle with. And what does that bring? It brings victory. (laughs) Hallelujah. Friend, I want to tell you something. No matter who your Goliath is, no matter how much noise or trash he's talking, you understand that he's not talking about you. He's not after you. He's after the armies of the God of Israel. And you can stand and say, how dare you? Do you realize you're talking to God's property? Do you understand that I was bought with a price? Do you get it that I am God's child? Who do you think you are? And you, with all the confidence and the verve of David, can stand up with your performance-enhancing doctrine, and you can take a stand for God, and God will be with you. Practice is useless unless you are willing to walk on the field. And tee it up. 2 Samuel chapter 22 verses 28 through 33. You saved the humble, David said, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. He's remembering. He's remembering. When my God, I can scale a wall. 
As for God, his way is perfect. He's never new and improved. He's perfect from the start. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. David understood. David got it. That the secret, the secret is your faith in what God has already declared over you. That is how we overcome. When you have faith in what God has already spoken over your life, when God has already declared over your life that you're a winner, if you just believe that and take a stand on it, it doesn't look good right now. The enemies take, talk a lot of noise, but I have confidence that God is going to be with me. So here's my question to you today. Do you believe God enough to use his passion? Do you trust him? That he's not going to leave you there by yourself. If you do, it's time for the church to put boots on the ground. You say, well, Brother David, what's the next battle? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going, to go, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. When I feel God is saying, who will stand for me? There's a gap here. Who will make up the hedge? I don't want God to look at David Johnson and say, I found none. I look for someone to take a stand for me. And when it was nerve-wracking, Trey, I told people about you last week, buddy. Were your ears burning? Trey, <laughs> Trey, Trey was uh, doing stuff for the student council. They had a lunch after school that he was helping with fundraiser. I looked at Trey, and I said, I, I thought, encouraging you to go up there. I thought, I can't do that. I'm not going to throw that kid to the dogs. I'm not going to do it. I wouldn't do it to my boy. Matthew turns and takes one look at him. Hmm? Trey said, Yes. And Trey takes a step forward and walks into that firestorm. Friend, he put, he's putting boots on the ground. Trey, you'd have been justified if you'd have said, oops, I signed the wrong thing. Oh. You know, and who would admit that? You know, you could say, uh, Mr. President, uh, you must have misread something. I misread, I'm supposed to be on there. He didn't do that. He, he said, I signed the, the attendance thing. I didn't sign the right one. He just overcame everything. You know why? Because his zeal was stronger than his fear. He knew it was right. He had passion for it. I texted him that day and I said, hey, would you prepare something to come speak? He said, yeah. Didn't hesitate. I don't think you hesitated. You shot the answer back to me pretty quick. Guys, it's time to put boots on the ground. And you do it because you practice. You do it because you know God's word. And you do it because it's greater than you. It's bigger than you. I pray for you that we'll be a church, a congregation of zeal and passion that we'll be known for that, more than our tradition, more than our history. How do we get our tradition? How do we get our history? You ready for this? Passion, zeal. John Huss went all in and died burning at a stake. Where are the John Husses today? God's looking for people, men and women of passion, young people of passion. And if, we have, if I have anything to say about that, I'm going to say, Lord, here are we. Send us. Use us. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, God, my passion wears me out. It consumes me, Lord. I want to do the right thing in the right way at the right time. Even when it's unpopular. I'd rather it be popular. I'd rather people stand around me and cheer. That'd be great. But it wasn't that way for David. David. 
and it may not be that way for us, but we will go because we have enhanced ourselves with your doctrine, your doctrine that will perform. I pray, God, that your passion and your zeal will consume every man, woman, and child in this building. And we will fulfill our destiny. We will bring you pleasure. We will make the world a better place because of you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, come tell us. Come sing us that song. Stand with me, please, as we conclude our, our final hymn. This causes, we're going to sing all the verses.